The only reason anyone is ever saved is divine election. The only reason anyone is ever lost is human responsibility. The ground of a person's salvation is always in the sovereign grace of God. And the ground of a person's condemnation is always in himself. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom begins a new 14-part series in Romans chapter 9 and 10, titled Human Responsibility. The book of Romans is a high point in the New Testament. It records the theology of the gospel of God, the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save, justify, and sanctify sinners. In Romans chapter 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul defends God's sovereignty in salvation and that sinners are responsible to believe in Christ and to repent. These twin truths are absolutely essential to understanding the gospel. Paul, and ultimately God, wants us as Christians to grasp why some people believe in the gospel and others don't. Well, Tom, why must we as Christians understand the human responsibility side of the gospel? Because in Romans 9 and 10, as Paul explains why Israel, God's chosen people, many of them, most of them, have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel, he gives two reasons. One of those reasons we tend to focus on in chapter 9, and that is the sovereignty of God. But the other reason is in chapter 10, and that's that they fail to take personal responsibility to obey the Scripture and to obey the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. They refuse to obey the message of the gospel, the command of the gospel, which is to repent and believe. And that's still very important today. The gospel demands that all of us repent of our sins and put our faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. Every person that has ever lived is responsible to obey that gospel command in order to be saved. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. We find ourselves in the third great section of Paul's letter to the Romans. That section is from chapter 9 through chapter 11. I've entitled it, The Gospel Defended, Election Israel and God's Promises. This actually is an important part of Paul's letter to the Romans because as he argues for the permanence of our salvation, for the reality that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God at the end of chapter 8, it invites the question, so what happened to Israel? What happened to God's Old Testament people Has he changed his mind? Has he changed his plans? Now, we've already considered an overview of Paul's argument in these three chapters. He begins with a brief introduction in chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, in which he simply raises the question, why has a majority of God's chosen people, Israel, rejected their Messiah and his gospel? He gives us three answers to that question as he develops these three chapters. The first answer is the reality of divine election. Beginning in chapter 9, verse 6, running through verse 29, he explains that God 
did not choose every Israelite to be his spiritual child. We've looked at that together. The second answer that he gives to this issue has to do with the reality of human responsibility. This begins in chapter 9, verse 30, and runs all the way through the end of chapter 10. The third answer that he'll give is found in chapter 11, and it is the reality of God's faithfulness. God is not done with the Jewish people. He will keep the promises that he has made. Now today, we begin to consider Paul's second answer to this question of why have so few Jewish people And why do so few today believe in their Messiah? And the answer to that is the reality of human responsibility. Now, it's clear that verse 30 marks the beginning of a new section in Paul's argument for a couple of reasons. First of all, you'll notice the question at the beginning of verse 30, what shall we say then? That's a question that is often used by Paul, including here in Romans, to introduce a new section of thought. In addition, beginning with this verse, there is a definite change in Paul's vocabulary. In fact, the words faith, believe, and righteousness become key words in this section, appearing more than 20 times collectively. But those three words don't appear one time in the first part of chapter 9, chapter 9, verses 1 to 29, and they don't appear a single time in chapter 11. They belong to this section, faith, believe, and righteousness. Now, it's clear that personal responsibility is the focus of this section. Let me show it to you. Look at chapter 9, verse 32. Notice the responsibility. Speaking of Israel, they did not pursue righteousness by faith. They didn't do it, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. We begin to get the implication that they are somehow responsible. It becomes clearer in chapter 10, verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, notice this, They did not subject, they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. Here we get to human responsibility. Notice verse 16. However, they did not all heed the good news. In our English translation, the word is heed. In the Greek text, it's the word obey. They did not obey the gospel. And then the ultimate expression of personal responsibility comes in the last verse of this section. Look at chapter 10, verse 21. But as for Israel, God says this, All day long, in other words, continually, I have stretched out my hands. That's the picture of an invitation. That's the picture of come to a disobedient and obstinate people. There you have the ultimate expression of human responsibility. Now, the point of this paragraph, then, is that in addition to divine election, a second reason the Jewish people did not in the first century and do not today as a whole believe in their Messiah and His gospel is the reality of human responsibility. They simply refuse to believe. And they refuse to believe 
Paul's going to share with us for several reasons. They refuse to believe because they failed to understand the purpose of the Old Testament law. They were unwilling to pursue salvation on God's terms through the means of faith. They refused to obey the, the message and commands of the gospel that was, that was preached to them. Repent and believe. They simply refused to do so. And all of that, and here's the key point to get, all of that in their response to the gospel is inexcusable. Why? Because as Paul will show with a number of quotations, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures are clear about these things. In fact, in this section we begin today, Paul quotes the Old Testament in 11 of 25 verses. He quotes from all three sections of the Hebrew Scriptures. He quotes from the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. He quotes from the prophets, and he quotes from that third section that is simply called the writings. It includes Psalms and other books. He quotes from all three of them. He is going to prove to us in this section that all three sections of the Hebrew Scriptures bear witness to salvation by faith alone through the work of the Messiah alone. As we have seen throughout this letter, the New Testament gospel, the gospel that Paul preached, is in complete continuity with the Old Testament Scripture. Now, we have plumbed the depths of Paul's first answer, divine election, in chapter 9, verses 6 to 29. And, in fact, somebody told me this morning they were disappointed. They expected to come back on their birthday in May and for me to be in part 27. I'm not going to do that. We need to move on. We need to consider the second reason that so few of the Jewish people have believed. And listen, It's not just about the Jewish people, because it turns out that the reason here that they didn't believe is the very same reason that so few Gentiles believe, that so few people around us believe, that people who are your neighbors and people who are in your family and people at your workplace don't believe. It's the same reason. It's the very same reason. It's human responsibility. That's the message of chapter 9, verse 30, through the end of chapter 10. Now, before we begin to examine this passage in more detail, we first need to ask the key question, and it is the big question that people always ask. What is the relationship between these two paragraphs, the one we've just studied and the one we start today, or let's put it differently, what is the relationship between divine election and human responsibility? Okay, Tom, tell me, how do you reconcile those two? Well, there are several possible ways to explain the relationship of these two paragraphs and these two key themes of divine election and human responsibility. Let me give you the four most common. The four most common ways to reconcile them, and as you can guess, I'm leading from the worst to the one that I would suggest you embrace. The first one, in fact, is not embraced by any conservative evangelical. The first way that some people say you reconcile these two truths is simply this. Divine election and human responsibility are inherently contradictory. 
In other words, they would say, Paul is simply contradicting himself from one paragraph to the next. This is the, this is the typical explanation of liberals, those who reject the inspiration of Scripture. I actually have a commentary or two on the book of Romans in my library where they say exactly this. Now, frankly, this explanation is an insult both to the Apostle Paul and to the Holy Spirit. It assumes that a brilliant mind like the apostles somehow missed the obvious fact that he's contradicting himself in this paragraph after having just said the opposite in the previous paragraph. Now, I am not bright like the Apostle Paul, but I think I could even manage that. And certainly the Apostle Paul could. But, but more importantly and more to the point, this section of Romans is not the product of Paul's mind. It is the product of the Holy Spirit's mind. And Jesus, our Lord himself, in John 14, 17, calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is characterized by truthfulness. He doesn't tell us what isn't reality. He doesn't tell us what isn't true. He doesn't contradict himself. This is a bad explanation. So, let's move on to the explanations. The other three that I'll give you are embraced by evangelicals. That one, no serious evangelical would embrace. Only liberals. But let's move to the other three. Here's another way to reconcile divine election and human responsibility. Number two, the human response to the gospel is the basis of election. In other words, they would say this, God chooses some people for salvation. Okay, that's clear. You can't really deny that from the previous paragraph. But according to this view, this new section that we come to explains the basis on which God chooses. That is human faith. God chooses, but He chooses only those whom He knows will believe, and He rejects and hardens only those whom He knows will not believe. This is a very popular view. In fact, I suspect that many of you here, some point in your lives, have been taught such a view. The main problem with this view is that what Paul has just taught us is that God's choice is unconditional. It is not conditioned on anything in the people that he chooses. Now, I'm not going to re-preach this paragraph, so if you weren't here, you can go back and listen. But let me just remind you of a couple of key verses. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 11. Verse 11, talking about Jacob and Esau, he says, For though the twins were not yet born notice this, and had not done anything good or bad, and here was the reason for this, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand, not because of works, not because of anything they did, but because of Him who calls. But it becomes even clearer in verse 15. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It's my decision. So then, here's Paul's, here's Paul's commentary on that quotation from the book of Exodus. So then, it does not, it meaning election, does not depend on the man who wills. Election is not based on human decision 
or the man who runs. Election is not based on human effort, but it is based on God who has mercy. It's God's sovereign choice. And just to drive that home, verse 18, so then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. So this second explanation of the relationship between divine election and human responsibility simply doesn't measure up to what we've already learned in chapter 9. A third explanation of the relationship of the two is that the human response to the gospel is the result of election. In other words, those who hold this view say, the reason people don't believe is that God didn't choose them. That's why they don't believe. Now, the problem with this is it makes God responsible for their unbelief. If only God had chosen them, they would believe. This also doesn't measure up to Scripture. Go go again to verse 21 of chapter 10. But as for Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. God doesn't take the blame for their unbelief. He lays the blame on them. You have Jesus' words in Matthew 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And listen to this, and you were unwilling. There's the issue. You were unwilling. So this third explanation is not suitable. It doesn't mesh with the rest of Scripture. So the best way then to explain the relationship of divine election and human responsibility is this. Number four, the human response to the gospel is the result of man's own fallenness, pride, and self-righteousness. That is what we're going to see in this section. Apart from electing saving grace, Left to himself, man will never, let's make it more personal, you and I would never respond in faith to the gospel. Now, why? Why is this true? Well, Paul's going to explain in this section. Now, how can these two seemingly opposite truths work together? You've got divine election, human responsibility. How, do you, how can they work together? They seem to be at odds. I love the explanation of Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon ministered in Cambridge, as a pastor in Cambridge, in the first half of the 19th century. And he wrote this, of course, at the dawning of the Industrial Revolution. He says, as wheels in a complicated machine may move in opposite directions and yet serve a common end, so may truths apparently opposite be perfectly reconcilable with each other and equally serve the purposes of God in the accomplishment of man's salvation. Uh, The watch I have on is, is a digital watch, but even within a digital watch, there are parts that move. And if you could take it apart, you would find that there are these gears. And if you watch those gears, you would discover that they are moving at times, maybe all the time, in opposite directions. And yet, the designer has so fashioned them so that they work together to accomplish the purpose of the watch, which is to tell me time. And the same thing is true with 
divine election and human responsibility. They mesh together. They appear to be moving in opposite directions, but in the mind and purpose of God, they accomplish His saving purpose. Now you say, Tom, you still haven't told us what the relationship is between divine election and human responsibility. Okay, here it is. Okay? Think of the relationship between these two like this. The only reason anyone is ever saved is divine election. That's the paragraph we just finished studying. Secondly, the only reason anyone is ever lost is human responsibility. That's the section we come to today. Let me say it again. The only reason anyone is ever saved is divine election. The only reason anyone is ever lost is human responsibility. The ground of a person's salvation is always in the sovereign grace of God. And the ground of a person's condemnation is always in himself. Now, again, let me, let me go back to my illustration that, that I think helps clarify this, the illustration of, of death row inmates and the governor going to pardon someone. If you look at that death row inmate there on death row, and you ask yourself this question, why is he on death row? What is the answer you arrive at? Is it, is it the governor's fault that he's on death row? Of course not. Is it the judge's fault who condemned him? Of course not. Is it the law's fault who found him guilty of breaking the law? No, it's, it, he's not there because of any of those things, ultimately. Why is he ultimately there? Because of his own sinful choices. That's why he's on death row. And that's the only reason he's on death row. Nobody else is to blame for his being on death row. And the same thing is true with every single sinner. We all lived before Christ on death row, and we deserve to be there. It wasn't God's fault. It wasn't our parents' fault. It wasn't Christ's fault. It wasn't the law's fault. It wasn't the judge's fault. It was ours and ours entirely. Now go back to the, the governor. He walks into that maximum security prison. He walks through the cells there where the death row inmates are kept, and he chooses to pardon one of them. Does that prisoner share in the, the contribution to his pardon? Of course not. It's all the sovereign choice of the governor. The same thing is true with God. So do you see how human responsibility and divine election works? Human responsibility places us on death row and only human responsibility because of our own sinful, law-breaking choices and only gracious, sovereign election gets us off of death row. That's the relationship of these two concepts. Now, as he has been from the beginning of chapter 9, the section we come to today, Paul is still explaining the reasons for the shocking fact that so few of the Jewish people have come to believe in their Messiah. And, and now he wants to make it clear to us that they can never blame divine election for their unbelief. It's their own fault. And by the way, it's not just true of the Jewish people. This is true of anyone who doesn't believe. None of us will ever be able to stand before God. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, 
you will not stand before God and say, God, it's your fault, you didn't choose me. You will not be able to stand before God and say anything at all. In fact, Romans 3 says your hand will be over your mouth. You'll have nothing to say because the reason you're there is you and entirely you. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series, Human Responsibility. Tom will have part two for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of The Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the word unleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the word unleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1 877 577 Word. And remember to connect with us on social at the word unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.